0: everyone welcome to the char work podcast this is your host kushal mehra all right today's podcast is titled hate speech and blasphemy laws in india and to discuss them i have with me nikhil mehra nikhil thanks for coming
1: hi kushal how are you
0: ekdam badhiya yaar bas abhi ek temporary studio mein baithke idhar podcast ki recording karne ki koshish chaloo hai bas aajkal wohi haal hai magar nikhil aur ha bas halat bure hai bure hai halaat in terms
1: of internet coverage and pricing india is king
0: Yeah, ya ta agree Yep, I agree with you. So just to give everyone a brief background as to why we are having this podcast today is that uh, a lot of, uh, lot of weeks or months uh, as far as, uh, you know, the, the shit show, because there is no other word uh, to, to explain this as it was a shit show. So a lot of things have happened. A lot of water has flown under the bridge uh, as far as... Uh, you know, the Nupur Sharma case is concerned uh, a lot of uh, unprecedented things have happened but uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to take this uh, opportunity to explain to people what exactly is the history of uh, blasphemy in India and um, you know on hate speech in India uh, obviously uh, as part of our research uh, I even shared uh, with Nikhil uh, <laughs> Uh, an extremely annoying and godforsaken report that was written by the Law Commission of India in, I think it was three years ago, uh, which uh, Nikhil had an absolutely great time uh, reading, uh, as he was saying uh, uh, offline. Yeah, Just to, you know, give you guys a brief idea, it was uh, report number 267 on H-speech produced in March 2017. I came across this report two, three years ago. So, anyways, uh, before uh, I speak any further, Nikhil, now I hand it over to you or Tu you Bata. Know.
1: So, two things right off the start. Uh, one, not much water has flown since the Nupur Sharma incident has happened. There's a lot more water that is going to flow before this is done. Uh, and, you know, it might just offer the perfect test case to actually challenge all of this stuff but for something for which I don't think our judiciary is ready and actually they may well be right maybe you and I are wrong maybe society isn't ready but that, as it may offers a, because you know there is no skirting the issue her words are such that you sort of hit at the heart of blasphemy you hit at the heart of insult to religion right so there's no arguments on but I meant this is what you meant yes you may say it's reactive but that you in that moment when you say reactive you inherently say i meant to insult in the same way in which you insulted me right so you can't run away from the argument of insult per se so it'd be a brilliant test case but given the events of yesterday (laughs) this is not the country this is not the court and this is not the time. And the second thing is, the Law Commission report you sent to me, you can discuss it. I don't have the bandwidth or the energy to deal with such utter tosh. And there are sometimes Law Commission reports are drafted to be thrown in a bin. This is the first one. But I will do this. When we discuss it, (laughs) I'm going to read the first page. Only the first page of that Law Commission report. Because I want our readers to discern why I am so desultory in my uh, classification of this report. Please listen to that first page and tell me how much it takes from me to keep carrying on and reading this after that first page. Anyway, so let's start.
0: You <laughs> I
1: mean, time in the course, if like time well and good, because there's a lot of material. You know, the, the, the saddest thing I, I realized in the course of... You know, putting all my thoughts together... Because this is an area I've I've read about a lot. I I know a lot of its history. I know a lot of its research. Uh, And the saddest thing, Kushal, is even now, whatever source of law you go to, whatever you read, the main cases are still from the 1920s. With the odd one thrown in in 1957 and one thrown in in 2016, 2017, 18. And even those, 57 and 18, post-constitutional cases, actually are more restrictive than some of the 1920s cases. So when we talk about development of the law, there is no development of the law. And I've identified good reason for it. And what identified good reason is not as if I had to divine a good reason by some thorough research, but there is quite frank admission on the part of the first enactments, the perpetuation of these enactments, why they were put into place. And so the first proposition I will give to you is that India never intended for a law of hate speech or blasphemy. India intended only for a law of control. These legislation, whether it is 153, 153, a- two,
0: a- Explain the difference between India intended a law of control and not a law of hate speech and blasphemy. How do you decide a- uh, you know decipher the, yeah. I, the difference? I
1: can't I can't in one sentence reduce what my entire podcast is going to be? I'm going this is what I'm going to explain. This proposition is what I'm going to explain. The proposition is okay that these are not that when it comes to blasphemy or hate speech, right, the biggest trick is establishing an objective standard. When it comes in fact to hate speech, other than a situation in which a riot becomes imminent, whether or not it occurs, there is no provision of hate speech in India because hate speech is defined as speech directed towards a particular defined group Having the effect of generating feelings of ill will or hatred towards them. Right creates hatred towards them with no further effect potential. Now, where we do have some aspects of this hate speech definition in, enjoined in our law is on the narrower question of religious groups. So when I say groups, groups could be anything, could be any set of groups. Right. But religious group, groups. Is a narrower, narrower uh, subset of that larger word groups. For religious groups, we've had this. And why did we have this? A lot of people talk about the 1920s, etc. But I want to go back a little bit further. Now, uh, Lord Macaulay had, is, the, is the draftsman of the IPC. And when he was drafting the IPC, he, he took... It took a long time of deliberation. It was drafted in 1837. There were a lot of, lot of back and forth, a lot of amendments. Till 1858, Or in 1860, it was finally passed. So this is a highly deliberative document because the British were clear that this is not a document meant only for India. Because what is meant for India is meant for the whole Raj. Right? It is meant for the entire imperial colonies because what will work in India will work everywhere. And the amount of energy, time, resources that governing India took was obviously disproportionately higher than any other region of the uh, of the uh, British Raj, right, of the uh, imperial colonies. And so when, when the Indian Penal Code gets passed, it is almost pro tanto applied in so many other colonies. So when this, all this rubbish of 295, 295A, so on and so forth, 153A, you'll find in multiple other countries. But India was a special test case because the diversity of religious population was immense, right? But be that as it may, when in 1860, the IPC is enacted. So in 1860, this enactment is passed into law and contains 500 odd sections. We're divided into different chapters. Chapters are meant to have separate headings. They're meant to cover specific things. Right? And the chapter we are looking at is chapter 15 of the IPC, primarily. And that is of offenses relating to religion. right? So of offenses relating to religion means to the extent of blasphemy, we have laws in India. But we don't necessarily have one single hate speech legislation. That's a slightly different thing. And that is exactly what that, that sort of the, the, uh, that is the attempt the law commission report makes right which we sort of ridicule that is the gap that it was trying to plug and in the manner in which goes about it it creates certain major restrictions on free speech which i we'll we'll get to when if and when we get to but be that as it may this is the chapter that relates to uh, of offenses relating to religion and the first section is and and, and so the way they did it was so they had I think Macaulay was even drafting this. Let's not, you know, don't don't ever think that, okay, Macaulay drafted this and have in your mind the impression of a man in a cold, dark room drafting away, drafting away, drafting away. No man is an island unto himself. And so he was greatly influenced by the dominant philosophies in England of the time. And the most dominant philosophy at that time was utilitarianism. And utilitarianism arises from, and and I understand that this is the, the... Utilitarianism was the dominant philosophy in England in that time. And in fact, utilitarianism, and I understand this is a taut- bit of a tautology, has a utilitarian origin. When you spread your empire so far and wide, the diversity you deal with is larger. Right? So eventually, principles such as greatest good or the greatest number start making sense in terms of sheer application of law, as opposed to the older principles okay. of right. Again, for the end of time, utilitarianism was the dominant philosophy in the UK at that point in time. And he was influenced by it. And there's this particular essay written by Jeremy Bentham. And Bentham, as you know, is the father of utilitarianism. Which is called an essay of the, of the influence of time and place in matters of legislation. Right. And this was the main purpose of this essay was to say you cannot have automatic transplanting of laws that have been successful in the UK into the uh, colonies. Because the conditions and circumstances of the colonies are different, their people are different, their histories are different. These laws will not ipso facto work over there. And in this this essay, he uses India as an example from time to time. Uh, And Macaulay was greatly influenced by this essay and by, by the philosophy in general. And so he... He wanted to enact 295 and 2298, that is chapter 15, keeping in mind the specific sensitivities of India, right? And that is why there is no broader hate speech legislation. There is no one section. Specific things were picked up, specific aspects that might lead to rioting or disquiet within the colony. And that is why I said from the start, the purpose of this chapter It isn't so much outlawing certain aspects of speaking. It is about control. And that is why things are kept deliberately vague in the definitions. Things are kept deliberately vague by the executive when they apply these sections to the cases to which they apply them to. And we end up with a mishmash of cases where anything and everything can be offensive from time to time. And anything and everything is a source of an FIR and a criminal complaint. And rarely do you ever get to conviction but you get to restrain the person who is the speaker at that moment in time so that at that moment's heat is sort of taken out from society. So the British approach was mainly conflict alleviation. They had no concern with liberty or the development of thought and modification of practices except for codification. So by modification of practices, I mean, this is also, there is a lot of reform happening in Hindu society throughout this period. Through the 1860s, 1870s, downwards, in fact, through the late 18th century onwards, there's a lot of reform happening. And it carries on actually quite to quite an extent through the 1920s, 1930s, but around the 1920s, Hindu society, maybe influenced partly by the essays of Hindutva, etc., starts to acquire a sort of unified entity of itself. As opposed to disparate groups that had been the traditional structure of Hindu society right but be that as it may, this is how it sort of came islamic scholars are very clear that certain of these provisions in uh, chapter 15 were actually categorically meant to protect islam from criticism yeah right that's what they say. So Pakistani scholars often say this that, that, that there are certain provisions of law. So 295A, I'll, I'll just jump to it for a second, even though, in my chronology, as of today, in 1860, 295A does not exist. Hmm. Right? And I don't want to just give a historical lecture of in this decade this happened, that happened, but just to give you certain ideas. That in 295, the 295A is considered by a lot of Islamic scholars to be a legislative vent for a punishment for blasphemy which of course is a secular punishment for blasphemy in as much as in ecclesiastical punishment punishment for blasphemy can only be death right that is where comes it doesn't Mm -hmm. come from abstraction from anywhere and and whenever these sort of statements are made that it is un-islamic this is false this is wrong these same demands have been made throughout history these same demands have been effected thoroughly in Pakistan repeatedly over the last uh, century or so and are constantly done. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, what happens then is that 295A becomes that went. and the purpose was, the intent was now that you have that went, you will not A, there is a dissuasion from the law into making any statements that might be offensive to various religious groups. And I think I've been quite clear already that the intent and purpose of the British was because India is multi-religious, right? And Hindus between themselves solve their own problems. They wanted to pass a chapter that related only to religion and not to groups in general because something very interesting happens at the time at which this is being passed. Initially, when it was proposed... Chapter 15 dealt with offense, was actually entitled Offenses Relating to Religion and Caste. So there were caste-related practices that they also wanted to bar under these provisions. Uh, But eventually they withheld because they were, actually they were fairly wise on this. What they said was, if we pass laws that prohibit certain caste practices, for example, one of the laws you'll have to pass is the defilement of Brahmanical stature by the compulse by the compelled eating of say beef or any other food that would lead to a loss of Brahmanical stature. Right? Mm-hmm. Or other laws, similar, similar laws that may be directed towards protection towards lower caste. But they felt that eventually this is going, these are going to be rules and laws that will be abused by the upper caste to the detriment of the lower caste. And so it's best to keep them out. Right? So even when we've come up with the SCST Act, etc., that was post-independence, when we felt that more of a voice could be found, and it was a unilateral, unidirectional law, had to be moving from low to up. The complainant could only be from a lower caste and not from an upper caste.
0: Got it. So they didn't
1: want they didn't want an overarching thing there. So that is why when the issue of group came, we reduced it to only religious groups, because this is where the problem was coming. Mm-hmm. Right? And throughout so the 1860s, 70s, we have huge amount, we have certain amounts of riots that happened. Uh, Now, Macaulay himself describes why he passed chapter 15. And I'd like to read that. The question whether insults offered to a religion ought to be visited with punishment does not appear to us at all to depend on the question whether that religion be true or false. Mm -hmm. And where does this statement come from? This comes from the fact that in any event, similar laws of blasphemy exist in the UK for the protection of the Church of England and of Christianity in general. But that okay. is a but but England is a country that is a singular dominated by a singular religious group. There may be sects but dominated by a singular religious group. So a law could be made in England directing uh, directing criminal offenses only in relation to one religion. Right? Okay. And so when, this, when these laws are passed, the clergy in the UK always had an issue saying, look, the way you pass these laws, some of the activities, proselytizing activities that we wish to engage in, where necessarily in the course of proselytization, we will have to nullify or engage with doctrine that comes from other religions. Mm-hmm. We could very well fall afoul of this chapter 15. And you're doing this the wrong way because that is a false religion and ours is the only true religion. So that's where this first sentence comes from. Hmm. the religion may be false but the pain which the insults give to the prof- professor of that religion is real. So this is important right? So now what becomes the subject matter of the legislation it is the sense of pain that is caused to a person with a devotee now the problem with this is devotees come with broad ranging sensibility some can tolerate more, some can tolerate nothing at all. Yeah Right. So for the purpose of a prosecution, who, what becomes the standard becomes very difficult to actually pinpoint and I will show to you that as the law progressed through the 1920s, after one seminal judgment set up an exceptional standard, going forward, the standard has been diluted further and further and the FIRs that are filed in modern day India, even today in 2018, the ones that are filed literally all it requires, is I am a devotee, I am a complainant, my sentiments are hurt. Hmm. That's enough to trigger the law. That was never the intention. That's what I'm driving at. Even in a high control environment, in which these legislation of passed, that was never the initial intention. It is often, as the most superficial observation may convince us, as real a pain and as acute a pain as is caused by almost any offense against the person, against property or against character. Nor is there any compensating good whatsoever to be set off against this pain. Discussion indeed tends to elicit truth, but insults have no such tendency. They can be employed just as easily against the purest faith as against the most monstrous superstition. It is easier to argue against falsehood than than against truth, but it is as easy to pull down or defile the temples of truth as those of falsehood. It is as easy to molest with ribaldry and clamor men assembled for purposes of pious and rational worship as men engage in the most absurd ceremonies. Such insults, when directed against erroneous opinions, seldom have any other effect than to fix, those, fix these opinions deeper and to give a character of peculiar ferocity to theological dissension instead of eliciting the truths that they only inflame fanaticism. This is very important. In
0: my yeah, can you explain this? Uh, I think yeah, this
1: I'm is. Gonna, I'm going to explain this. This particular paragraph is written by a person in a time in history where he still treats religion as the principal motivator of life and the principal organizer of life. This is a time when the Industrial Revolution has taken place, but the Industrial Revolution is organizing life in certain ways. And while religion is being pushed back, it is still the dominant force. Right? And so in the statement, and I'm going to repeat that one sentence in the middle again, it is often as the most superficial observation may convince us as real a pain and as acute a pain as is caused by almost any offense against the person. That is how high he pitches the idea of being of having a religious sentiments hurt. And that and is how dominant.
0: Is this is how this sp- many years back is the importance of this statement? This
1: is
0: 160 years now. Yeah, so imagine.
1: Right? So Macaulay, Macaulay says, essentially, religion is so important that I have to protect it somehow or the other. And I can't let it be subjected to the commentary of common people. But now the question is, in 2022, are we going to still place religion on that pedestal? And if we are not placing it on that pedestal, then is it at parity with any other normative idea? And if it is at parity, then nothing else gets this protection. Why should religion get this protection, right? So that's one of the themes. That's that is the crux
0: of the issue, right? What 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 religion makes, makes religion. what makes religion special that it needs protection?
1: What makes religion special in India that it needs protection? Because sure, because all over the because in many parts of the West, many parts of the world, that stage is passed. You you have T-shirts in America with Jesus smoking a joint. Not a
0: question is raised. Mm-hmm. Well, in the, people, people forget that in the year 1987, if I remember correctly, was the first time um, we had that uh, Piss Christ uh, painting. And, you know, it was the irony was that the Piss Christ painting was done by a devout Christian. He did not know he was, an, uh, 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 you know, assaulting the sentiments of anybody. The person was just going on doing his thing and it became a thing. And then nothing happened to that person, honestly.
1: Yeah, no, so that's what I'm saying. So now and regard this in the context of I know some of the criticisms, and I, I made a similar criticism yesterday on News 18. Um in relation to the comments of the Supreme Court in Nupur Sharma's case. Here's what he says: such insults, when directed against erroneous opinions, seldom have any other effect than to fix those opinions deeper. That means when you are, are insulting religion, all you're compelling is for that devotee to believe even greater in the religion. This is an assumption that I don't think stands anymore. Because science is something which is much more profound today. And your tools of engagement in a debate are much broader. right? So I will always argue the proposition that insult for the sake of insult, totally desultory insult of religion is an essential aspect of modern day living. Because absent that, you cannot drag down the superstructure. You must mock it mercilessly. You must be allowed to desultorily insult it. Because that is how superstructures go down. Religion is far too powerful. As this shows, this paragraph shows, far too powerful a superstructure for it to be worried by the statement of individual. And if it is worried by the statement of individuals, that is because today is the era of science and of logic. And suddenly religion doesn't have the answers that it used to possess. Right, And so it now needs tools of control yep. greater than prior.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is what he goes on to say. The principle on which this chapter has been framed is a principle on which it would be desirable that all government should act, but from which the British government in India cannot depart without ris- risking the dissolutions of society. It is this, that every man should be suffered to profess his own religion that no man should be suffered to insult the religion of another. Religion is key. And note, there is no, at this point in time, discussion on, it is left to the side. Discussion is important to elicit truth, but nothing more. Right? And whereas we know, Mm -hmm. whether it is within, I mean, I always say this, there is no greater document of apology of a caste than the Indian constitution. You can write books mm. such as Babarao Baba has written. So many books you can write. But none of them have the force of a constitution. right? And nothing admits to the problems of caste like the constitution. Is it not blasphemous? So you have selected a superstructure that you but want to break down. But you now want to take No, no away See, the, the question
0: of caste and... So I just want to come here. I just want to come here. The question of caste and blasphemy don't match up is because of the inherent problem that inside Hinduism, blasphemy has, has no place at a structural level. So, no, I think that analogy has, is problematic.
1: Blasphemy as understood by this man. Please understand. I'm talking about an Indian legislation. Blasphemy as understood by Macaulay. The, the denigration of caste as a, as a practice... As an institution is hurtful to certain religious sentiments. There's no disputing that fact. That's the standard mm-hmm. Macola set. So you have now chosen that certain aspects of blasphemy we will conduct for ourselves, but we will not leave to ordinary citizens the power for power of exploration of other forms of blasphemy that could lead to better societal change in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? Anyway. I'm going to very quickly run. Yeah, through. but
0: uh, yeah, just one question over here. When so I still, Nikhil, I, I don't know. I still find it a little confusing. How how do you still make that difference, Nikhil, that you mentioned in the start about a law being for control or a law being for blasphemy? No, no, no. So he's he
1: himself is saying it. We need to control. We need to make sure that people aren't hurt. We need to make sure that people are not rioting. And that will come that will come further. Please see, that will get even more and more elucidated as I go through the history of this. This is just the start. At this moment in time, he's saying, look, if I need to maintain control within, I'll read that sentence again to you. That's why I read this I extract out. The principle on which this chapter has been framed is a principle on which it would be desirable that all governments should act but from which the British government in India cannot depart without risking the dissolutions of society. Right? So he's saying, if I don't do what I'm doing here, there's going to be such broad-based tumult within Indian society that it will dissolve by itself and our our control itself will go away. That's what his implication is.
0: Hmm.
1: Right? So let me just quickly quickly run through these sections. So... The, the first section in this chapter is section 295, which is injuring or defiling place of worship with intent to insult religion of any class. Right? So this is quite interesting. The first section doesn't deal with sentiments or emotions. Right? Because they started with something substantive mm-hmm. and they actually started with something very similar to the kind of protections they had for Christianity in the UK. Right, where the idea of defiling or, or damaging was actually about churches. Outside of churches, you would do what you would do, but you couldn't hurt a church, you couldn't hurt a funeral procession, you couldn't hurt a religious procession, that kind of thing. Those so the symbols of religion, which are the uh, manifest symbols of, religion, of of religion, almost the material symbols of religion, first needed protection. And, mm-hmm. and for a long time, it was believed that's enough. That'll suffice. Right? So the first section is uh, protecting places of worship and physical symbols and religion, religious symbols, okay? So, there is a distinction drawn. It is not merely places of worship when I read this section. So whoever destroys or damages or defiles any place of worship or any other object held sacred by any class of persons. Right? So any other object held sacred would also cover statues, would cover murtis would cover uh, dargahs. You know that... Uh,
0: Nikhil, any other object that is held sacred is such a slippery slope. Isko to it, is, bhi leke ja sakta
1: it is, it is. But courts tended to restrict. So they, 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 they definitely insisted that if you're going to call... The denigration? do oh, no, no. As a lost overbroad, I mean, this is my. What am I trying to say to you from the start? This is this is pure control. No, tomorrow if I start feeling as a as a police officer, I go and report to the higher up saying, look, there's something starting to happen. They're starting to fight. But you know, one of these guys had, let's say, he's a Muslim man. He had taken, he had, he had uh, butchered a cow, and he had carried beef openly through a Hindu society, through a Hindu colony. Right? Passing past a statue of say Nandi, and we could apply 295 to him and at least, you know, get rid of the tension in, in society at this moment That is why I say these are control provisions. Right? So there is a concept, there is a distinction between damage okay. and defile. And defile is a is is actually a distinct thing. Damage is a physical damage. Damage is defiling. Got you it. needn't actually physically destroy the thing that you're defiling so and this will keep happening from time to time defilement could be done by an untouchable by entering upon a sacred temple or space not meant for them that's defilement right uh it was very interesting there was a there's an old case in which uh, in a fit of anger a person threw a fish into a well right and they tried to bring it under 295. Eventually, they, they first right. convicted Yeah, Yeah. So, that exactly what happened was that the, the appellate court then said that you haven't proved the piety of the well. Merely because you come and you pray at the well from time to time because it is your source of water doesn't mean it has become a place of worship by itself. Right. So this is the kind
0: Dude, of Dude, you, you know what, what what some crazy people will do, right? They'll be like, I see divinity anywhere and everywhere. So if any kind of defilement of my thing and divinity is uh this and so 295a for everybody. I mean, no, not 295A. Is- this is 295. This is 295, not 295A. Right? Okay, and okay, this sorry,
1: is- 295. I what correct is- myself. What you are just pointing out is exactly my problem. What do what do these provisions do? What it is- they protect they protect religion as an ideal higher than other things. In a contest between a scientific principle and a religious principle, it is very possible the scientific principle does not get the same protection as a religious principle. Assume a scientific principle, attacks a religious principle. You're literally dependent on the the wisdom of the government of the day, but you shouldn't have to be. There should be no law that should be able to stop that scientist in that moment in time.
0: Honestly, most of these laws, Nikhil, are so loosely drafted that there is so much scope of misuse.
1: Now, on the same sacred that is held sacred, argument, the upper caste to lower caste law, There's a judgment called Shir Shankar. He was convicted for destroying the sacred thread worn by a shudra, right? Eventually in appeal, the accused was judged not to have insulted Hindu religion because the court's view Arya and Shudra castes are not entitled to wear wear, wear a sacred thread. So if they're not entitled to wear it, it's not sacred for the purposes of the section. Now, in the context of these laws being as they are, right, if you don't end up with the constitution which actually denigrates castes in the way in which it does, these sections perpetuate religion. Now you may have some limitations that the constitution has placed and one would argue majority of those limitations are on Hinduism and very few on, on, on other religions. But in as much as they really exist bo-
0: through the constitution... line important, lopsided against Hinduism. Hai.
1: See, see that's, that's not entirely true. I, we did, if you remember, in the burqa case, we had, I had done a review of Article 25, 26, 29, 30. Yes, yes, 26. yes, I remember. They open with the words, uh, subject to any law, made pursuant to public health, morality, blah, blah. So that could apply to any religion. But then you have to pass the law. The objection has been that while the Constitution may permit this kind of in, in transgression into other, you have not done that transgression into other religions. In the way in which you have to Hinduism, but there is a reality that Hindu society was, in fact, evolving quite a lot by itself. So the Hindu right often complains that we were doing everything. While being very clear about what, if we want to maintain our character as Hindus, what we can retain and what we can get go of. You have come in as a secular government and gone and done it in a much more harsh manner. Much harsher manner. Right. That's that's often the argument that's raised. But anyway, that's 295. And 296 is for the protection of religious assemblies, uh, which becomes material in the context of all these Hanuman Yatras that we had, where stones were pelted, etc. So if it is a lawful assembly, and it is voluntarily disturbed, so a, a lawful and lawful assembly for a religious purpose, which is voluntarily disturbed, that's an offence. Right? Which is what happened in these cases, in a number of these cases. That's why you know the problem that happens is something like this only has a year or two years of imprisonment under the IPC. Which is probably what is and which Mm -hmm. is maybe not enough of a deterrence. And you have to prove the case, you have to show the person through a stone. So our lords and masters in government have decided all right, we'll just bring a bulldozer instead. These are obscenities. I'm sorry. I will say this from this platform today. In my view, the use of bulldozers in response to allegations of rioting against people, it isn't just illegal or unconstitutional. It is uncivilized to go and break a person's home in this manner. I know rioters are a problem, but you are now, what you're trying to do is what you have done throughout, in every single podcast I've done with you on criminal law. I have told you, whether it is government or it is judges or it is our lawmaking, all of it tries to make up for our inability in law enforcement. And when you keep doing that, you keep damaging rights and there is no incentive then to actually improve your law enforcement. You must leave the police to lose case after case after case before they are forced to improve themselves. Otherwise, there's no incentive. There's no no improvement. Anyway, very similarly, uh, section 297 is protection of a burial site. Right. That's really a very Christian and Muslim um, protection. They didn't want, you know, because you, you could end up with riots again. Like If you look at it, the entire branch of surgery mm-hmm. right, was precepted on the smuggling of dead bodies to the first surgeons in 18th century in England, 17th, and 18th century in England. Mm-hmm. So, and eventually laws were passed in England that you could dig up buried persons after certain permissions were taken, so on and so forth, and grant that body to science as it were. Right? And obviously, we even now, we have these options where we can say, I'd like to donate my body to science. I'd like to donate my body to, uh, not not merely organs, but my body as a whole. Got it. So... You know, you have created, so so really the final resting place idea was that, and, and at that point in time, you didn't have this exception for science, right? You didn't have this exception for, so you had a total bar, a total bar. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of your surgeons, so many of your scientists at that time who were, who needed to experiment on the human body, were all in fact, abettors to a crime. Mm-hmm. they're all in 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 American parlance because too many people watch American shows they're all accessories to a crime mm-hmm. so the, the the urge for control was so strong and even these simple caveats weren't carved out right not 298 a, 298 298 is very similar to 295a so i'm going to explain this a little bit carefully 298 is uttering words with deliberate intent to wound the religious feelings of any person. Right? So I want you to keep in mind now three words from this. Uttering. Okay? And uttering makes it spoken as opposed to
0: written. Yeah. Only spoken. This is fascinating. Written, Kyuni Nikhil?
1: That's why 295A came in.
0: Ah, shabash.
1: When they realize, shit, we missed it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uttering, then focus on the word wound. Okay? Because 295A will say outrage. And
0: any person. And deliberate is also very important.
1: Deliberate word is also. Any class of persons. Mm. Three major distinctions. Very interesting. So this is quite self-explanatory. Whoever, with deliberate intention of wounding the religious feelings of any person, utters any word or makes any sound, in the hearing of the person, or makes any. Gesture in the sight of the person, or places any object in the sight of that person, shall be punished with imprisonment of about one year and a fine.
0: Nikhil, what I mean, I just don't understand how these laws are made and how. How who was the person who came up with I, this? I
1: explained to you. He made. See, he's trying to draw different situations. One is, look, where where do I need control? What is causing a potential riot? If you go and uh, attack a temple, if you go and throw a, a cow out. into out a temple,
0: hear me, out. hear me out. Hear me out. The man uh-huh. who made this law was coming from a Christian background. Yeah. His Bible literally hurts my religious sentiments through utterances deliberately because that's what his theological worldview no, 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 is. Not. You're wrong
1: on deliberately. This is where you're wrong. This has already been dealt with. Come on, man. It was never written to hurt you. That's the key. That's what protects... If you're going to first principles, that's what protects competing religious texts against each other. It was never written to hurt you.
0: So that was the rationale behind the Kolkata Quran case, right? Right,
1: right. Except this same logic, they will not accept when I write a scientific paper, which ends up hurting them. Because then they will say, but you could not have intended anything other than hurt. But when it comes to the Quran versus Hinduism or, Christ- or or the Bible versus the Quran, they'll say, oh, no, no, but this was never intended to hurt you at all. That's, why, that's, that's how it was. So it
0: was intended to hurt those people written at no, that right. time no, in no, that no, no, historical no, no, no. context?
1: Please understand, for people like this who pass laws like this, all religion is for the betterment of, betterment of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> and so these, these are the first I want to bring out the hilarity of this because oh, these are the hypocrisies okay. that we're forced to defend. Oh my goodness! Right? So, so don't get so caught up when you're making an argument against this. Don't get so caught up on yaar, but usne word to ye used tha. And ye bada word hai. Yaar. Look at what you're defending in a larger sense. All this has to go. It, there is no space left for it.
0: How we can and, Nikhil? How can any sensible person defend laws like this? Is what beats for hundred and sixty.
1: No, no. What do you mean, any sensible person? I promise you this, Kushal. Majority of your listeners, majority of the people that you'll ever speak to are totally in agreement with Lord Macaulay's paragraph that I read to you.
0: I know, when unfortunately. He
1: said, when he said that this religious pain is at parity with somebody putting a knife through me, man.
0: Aye, hi, hi, hi. lagi,
1: That's what all of this is all about, right? Man, we wasted a lot of time Actually, we haven't we here. This
0: has been good. No, 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 no. Do not, uh no, no. If we can't take questions, no, no, we no, can't no, take questions a, to explain. There'll, to be,
1: there'll be a part two on this. Yeah, like yeah, we'll do. There'll we'll do, be a part we'll two. Because I've got a lot. You know, once we go into part two, then there's international stuff to be covered. to kaam
0: do this. What we'll do is we'll come back and we'll take questions. I'll handle it. I know what to do. Don't worry about it. I know we still have an
1: hour on this. Vakil. Say It's all right now, just to narrow down the section, because they also realize that if, and they, they don't realize this out of the goodness of their heart, but let me just read it for And this is in the context of the intention of a wound, deliberate intent to wound, right? So what is deliberate intent to wound? Many sections of the IPC will use the word with intention, or even if you don't use the word intention, it's a crime. Inherently, it has to have what is called as a mens rea, which is a criminal intent, but many sections use the word deliberate intent, and it has to be proactively proved that from the initial starting point there was a targeted intention behind the action, and that's a matter of trial.
0: Nikhil, fir, this is a classic case to use a contemporary analogy, one, me, Iko, is caveat dalne the because one viewer ne bhi a acha point ye is gaya, us terko question hi raha Nikhil ji, fir Nupur ne bhi to ek question hi I she did not give late. a statement.
1: But but I, don't know. I you see when we deal with and whatever else we do today, Kushal, we'll deal with the Supreme Court observations for sure.
0: Please, please.
1: Right? please and do. when we and when we when I break that down, I am being very clear today. I may in many aspects be critical, but I'm going to explain to you from a legal standpoint, having read all of these sections, what is going from a pure hard legal sense in the mind of the judge when he's making at least some of those observations. Mm-hmm. they are legally pertinent observations on, and they needed a response they needed a stronger response anyway I mean, it, the intention to wound must be deliberate That it is. that is not conceived on the sudden in the course of discussion that is Nupur's defense but premeditated it must appear not only that the party being engaged in a discussion with another on the subject of the religion professed by the other in the course of the argument, consciously used words likely to wound his religious feelings, but that he entered into the discussion with the deliberate purpose of so offending. I mean, even the Goras had this much wisdom saying, sentiment hurt hogi. I'm wounded, I'm wounded. So they knew that you were know, you're gonna apply the criminal law, you've still got to narrow something down. Because what happens is if you I think of it from the perspective of someone who has a slight malintent in society, right? If This becomes such a tool of harassment if these limitations are not created. The problem is these limitations are manifest limitations a judge can discern. It is not always possible for a police officer to discern.
0: One minute. Yeah. Uh, judge can discern? Mein, yeah. A- after what has happened yesterday, judges can discern. Of course, they are. Of course they are. Uh, I have my doubts. I,
1: I know you doubts. do. I know you do. I'm going to place a strident defense of the Supreme Court along with a strident attack against the Supreme Court.
0: you to are common are hurt Our sentiment yeah. Court hurt you're, you're, you're
1: sitting. You're sitting in, can, in a. In a Internet cafe, not even a cafe. It looks like you booked a room in Canada. You are not arm anything, all right? If you are an arm, you are more like the Alfonso. You are not. You are not like the rest of us who are safedas. You're, you're a, you, so you stop pretending. But in any event, I didn't want to read too much of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, jo important uh, aspects like ther if, ther however,
1: a party were to force himself upon the attention of another, addressing to him an involuntary hearer, an insulting invective against his religion, he would be conceived fall under that definition. For the reasonable inference from his conduct would be that he had a deliberate intention of wounding the religious feeling of his hearer. So 298 is actually very narrow. Applies in very, very narrow circumstances. This is why every single FIR is 295A. And I want to come back to this 298 uses any person. And when I come to 295A, I'll show you 295A uses class of persons, but effectively the way 295A has been interpreted, it has become any person. And that standard from a perspective of a trial lawyer is a very dangerous standard. You need to bring three people off the street, right? You bring three people off the street. You put them into a courtroom and they all say my religious sentiments were hurt. you met and a certain
0: standard. So this is why i
1: come back to that podcast we've done on free speech. Right? mm mm-hmm. When I had explained that the much-adored judgment under Indian law, Shreya, Singhal, that everybody says, greatest, most liberal Supreme Court judgment on the I mean, I don't even know what to say to people beyond the point. That judgment establishes Oliver Wendell Holmes's standard. If you remember, I told you a clear and present danger. It yes. is a purely subjective legal standard. Everything that Macaulay is saying, he could also say this is clear and present danger in my view. So in an era when things were at their worst in the 1960s in America, the U.S. Supreme Court came up with with the Brandenburg standards. Right?
0: Mm -hmm. And what was that
1: standard? That it must be direct incitement to violence. Specifically marking out the distinction that violent words are sometimes necessary. Now, you have the 1860s, 70s, 80s, 90s. There are, there is a evolving and growing consciousness within Indian society. There is a growing nationalism, but groups are still, subgroups are still very strong. And with the advent of Mahatma Gandhi, you get the first set of movements around which everybody can sort of coalesce. And that is the non-cooperation movement. And immediately in the 1920s, the Khilafat movement. And early 1920s and the idea was that the Khilafat movement brought a certain unity with between Hindus and Muslims because Hindus joined cause with Muslims on what was essentially a Muslim issue. right? So there are very famous Indian sages who have written about the fact that for any Indian, for any Hindu, Khilafat is an essential dharmic exercise. And if you believe in dharma, then you must believe in the dharma of the other as well. So therefore, Khilafat was to be supported. Now, by 1922, non-cooperation is finished. Khilafat is finished, and there is actually a sense of vacuum within leadership in the country at that point in time. The next great movement does not come for almost ten years. That was civil disobedience. It doesn't come for almost ten years. Obviously, the Congress is in place. There are other regional parties in place. But that sense of energy, that that sense of unity that was coming with these larger movements against uh the british has suddenly so there is suddenly no coalescing around each other and this leads to a spate of riots in the 1920s the mopala rebellion that you've often so, so often heard about happens in the 1920s there are riots in punjab through the 1920s but the history of the law that i'm talking about is really So much of the history of legislation, so much of the history, so much of the future of the subcontinent at that time was decided in Punjab. So these battles are all in Punjab. These cases will come up in Lahore. These cases will come up in Amritsar. These cases are then argued in these places. And obviously the partition eventually occurs. Largely a Punjabi partition initially. And obviously uh, uh, for Bengal as well. These are the two sort of major theatres for this kind of communal rife. But in the 1920s, the government dealt with the religious offenses amid 122 riots is what they record from 1923 to 1928, which the government classified as serious communal disorders, exacerbated by various controversial publications with the loss of approximately 450 lives and major injuries to 5,000 people. Part of the background of the riots was the effect of Hindu reform movement, which as it evolved and organized itself into one religion rather than a plethora of local activities and attitudes confronted the Muslim community, which had long been more or less one group. So this unification of Hindus now leads to a separate sub-national consciousness amongst Hindus who are now raising questions about Islam like they haven't raised before. And the, the effect of this is that certain pamphlets are written. And I, I know you've all heard of Rangila Rasool, And Rangila Rasool is one of the more important pamphlets that was written in that time. But there were two other cases that arose at the same time. This is in the 1920s. And these three cases together are... Welcome back to your own podcast.
0: I'm so sorry. My computer froze completely. I'm very sorry about this. I told you it was Canada. Dude, It's seriously, it is Canada.
1: Uh, so, I, I think you've been hearing me in between if you have Yeah,
0: no, no. Me- so, you know what I did was as soon as I froze, I opened the video up on the la- on the phone so I could hear everything you said.
1: Right. Uh And what happens now is Rangila Rasool was published. And Rangila Rasool was published in May 1924. And the English translation of it is the Amor, the Amorous Prophet. And what it did was it uh, described the sexual life of the prophet. Before the pamphlet had been banned, after much religious criticism, around a thousand copies had already been circulated. A thousand copies at that time is quite substantial for a small pamphlet. Uh, you can imagine, therefore, that. In the modern day, this is even more exacerbated because WhatsApp will take it to millions of people in no time whatsoever, right? And that is why the urge for control is even greater now. And then you're going to see, and that urge for control came through, this same mentality of control came through in the Supreme Court and the way it spoke about these things because the truth is the state remains the same and the state, modern Indian state, has accepted and in fact celebrated The exact principles on which Macaulay first passed these laws. Anyway, uh, the interesting thing, and please remember this, when Rangila Rasool is published, Mm -hmm. there
0: is no 295A. Yeah, uh, 295 was a result of Nagira Rasool, right? Sita Ki Rasoi followed by Rangila Rasool followed by 295A.
1: that's That's right. Well, there were three. There were three articles. And three cases. And what happens is that because there's no 295A, but they want to attack him on a graver charge because what, what's happening is that every single day, large congregation of Muslims are, are assembling outside the governor general's house and saying, you have to do something about this. You absolutely have to do something about this. You can't let this go unpunished. And he was arrested. Eventually, mahasharajpal Rajpal was arrested. Because the author was anonymous, mm-hmm. uh, but the author is believed to have been one Pandit Chamupati, Tha. who was an Arya Samaji. And boss, the emergence of Arya Samaj, because of their more critical outlook, brings all of, like, half these authors are Arya Samajis. They are willing to write what they want to write about any and everything, including our, including their own
0: uh, faith.
1: So, the trial court straight away puts his hand up and says, this is complete incitement of a riot. So, the charge is 153A. And under 153A, You are required to prove that the statements were such that they were meant to incite a riot between two groups. Yeah. Yeah. With intent, right?
0: Yeah. Intent being the key word.
1: Intent. That's right. That's right. right. And now you can understand why different sections are drafted, Kushal, because it is very difficult, actually, if you look at it, promoting enmity between different groups on grounds of religion, race, place of birth, residence, etc. Right? Right? It is very difficult to attribute that intention to Mahasaya Rajpa, if you look at it. Mm-hmm. So this is where the problem arose. Now the trial court goes and says, yes, I convict under 153A. Why? On a standard that has become the norm today, which was when you wrote this, it is so, you know it to be so offensive to a Muslim. That there is no other aspect, that there is no other outcome that you could have foreseen. And the natural principle of law that other than the fact that Muslims would be agitated by this, and then he takes the leap of faith to say that agitation would eventually lead to riots against Hindus without explaining to us why Hindus would jump into a riot in -hmm. the first instance. Right? But he takes that leap of faith and he goes that far in logic. And then that is why you can understand that this judge eventually, eventually, Mahashai Rajpal is acquitted. Mm. Trial court goes against him. Sessions court says, the the pamphlet read as a whole was intentionally offensive, scurrilous and wounding to the religious feelings of the Mohammedan community. The Lahore High Court eventually overturned Rajpal's conviction and appeal on the basis that the publication did not constitute an offence within the meaning of 153a, and an attack on the Prophet could not expose the accused penalty for an offence directed against class hostility. This Hmm. is one of the seminal judgments on this area of law. Anybody who ever wants to read about free speech offences, one of the greatest judgments ever written in the Indian subcontinent is a judgment written in the Lahore High Court by Justice Dalib Singh. And Justice Dalip Singh draws a very important distinction. And I'm going to read just a couple of sentences of what he draws out. Right? One of the arguments raised by the government's counsel in that case was that There should be a different standard adopted for free speech depending upon the tolerance levels and fanatical nature of the followers of the target religion. What? Exactly what we get to hear today. I'm telling you, this stuff has not... If this is the correct legal device to deal with these problems, it has been an abject failure because we're doing the same thing 160 years later. Yeah,
0: and And if this is the standard, we are screwed.
1: Right? So what does it say? The argument from the government on that day was that if the target audience is more fanatical, you have to be more careful. But Justice Dilip Singh rejected this argument on the ground that ignorance of fanaticism of a particular community should not determine the nature of an act. Although he acknowledged that such attitudes might aggravate the offence in certain cases, he viewed the consequence of this line of argument as an acceptable stating that the nature of the act. Namely, where it is an offense, whether it is an offense or not, cannot be determined by the reaction of a particular class. Mm -hmm. He says, a section was intended to prevent persons from making attacks on a particular community as it exists at the present time and was not meant to stop polemics against deceased religious leaders, however scurrilous and in bad taste such attacks might be. Mm -hmm. This is Nupur Sharma's defense right here except mm-hmm. I can show you a hundred years of legal history where every judgment has come and said no 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 but this is too scary for us to act
0: so basically the, the 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 fear factor is because what will happen if I do the right thing
1: that's yeah. right that's right right and and governments themselves come to court and argue this I'd be very interesting since Nupur Sharma belongs to the, is so precious to the BJP and yeah? the BJP can't be seen throwing her under the bus, although they already have to a partial degree, will they go to court? How, I don't understand, because the Delhi police is already the government, the Delhi police has already initiated a case, are they going to file a closure report, which says we don't see an offence, because, to repeat... The section was intended to prevent person from making attacks on a particular community as it exists at the present time and was not meant to stop polemics against deceased religious leaders, however scurrilous and in bad taste, such attacks might be. Although this is in the context of 153A, not 295A. Mm-hmm. But he acquitted him and he said, and this is so important, the pamphlet may, 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 may give rise to feelings of contempt of all decent persons. It may even wound the religious feeling of certain Muslims. But it cannot be held to have promoted feelings of enmity and hatred between different classes. So 153A charge falls.
0: Boss, I so salute have. this judge who has written this. I salute him.
1: So this is when you are asking me why are so many sections made that sound so close and similar to each other. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's done. When real life comes at you, certain definitions don't capture the things you want captured. Right? And what happens now, there is a set of two more cases that arise. R.S. Samajis had basically gone nuts in the 1920s. And I want to draw this contrast. I'll read these two judgments. And what I'll do is let me conclude the history of 295-A, mm-hmm. then we will talk about uh, the Supreme Court's observations. right? And then we'll take questions and leave the rest for part two. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. a
0: substantial amount of time is gone. Nikhil already has a question. Wale hai, iske ah.
1: So, there is a another case called the Vichitra Jeevan case. Vichitra Jeevan? Yeah. case cannot be
0: Vichitra Charan Jeevan.
1: Pandit Kali Charan Sharma wrote a book which translates Vichitra Jeevan, which is strange life, strange and diverting episodes in the life of Mohammed Saeed. <laughs> Arya Samadhi said, boss, we're not letting anything discover, get, get, get rid of our scrutiny now. Mm. So, he actually raises the defense that at the time at which these laws were being passed was raised by Christian missionaries in the UK saying that, look, if I have to proselytize mm-hmm. or if I have to spread the word of God, mm-hmm. I have to necessarily also show the falsehood of the word of the other God. And right? so his first defense is, my book is written with the intent of conducting my missionary work. Mm. Right, And so if primary intent, because this is what Dilip Singh did, Dilip Singh evaluated intent. If primary intent needs to be evaluated, then I should get that fair treatment.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree.
1: Right. So this was the defense. And the book was banned. The book was what, what they call was cause to forfeit.
0: Hmm. Uh, so now the now that we have spoken about this book on this podcast, suddenly the internet will see searches for Vichitra Jeevan book.
1: <laughs> so oh. oh, I nearly, I nearly forgot this. And I, 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 this is unforgivable on my part. rangila Rasool is not done as yet. Mm. One of the arguments raised during Rangila Rasool was, I published in 1924-25, people are getting angry in 1926, what the hell, this delay means that my publication wasn't the problem. Mm. The problem was a certain gentleman by the name of Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi, who in young India wrote the following paragraph. Mm -hmm. A friend has sent me a pamphlet called Rangila Rasool written in Urdu. The author's name is not given. It is published by the manager, Arya Pustakalai Lahore. The mm-hmm. very title is highly offensive. Oy, oy. The, contents in, the contents are in keeping with the title. I cannot, without giving offence to the reader's sense of the fine, give the translation of some of the extracts. I have asked myself what the motive possibly could be in writing or printing such a book, except to inflame passions. Abuse and caricature of the Prophet cannot wean a Muslim man from his faith and it can do no good to a Hindu who may have doubts about his own belief. As a contribution, therefore, to the religious propaganda work, it has no value whatsoever. The harm it can do is obvious.
0: So, basically, Gandhi ji
1: threw Mahashai Rajpal under the bus.
0: Like Supreme Court did Nupur yesterday. Don't
1: Supreme Court. Don't stop Right? Because actually, that is going to take some time. So, let me stop with Rangila Rasool today.
0: Okay, 9 we'll do the rest. Abhi question puchu terko ki kya karu? Let's do Supreme Court first. Okay, the Supreme Court first. in the course of questions? I'm fine with either. Hai, dek, oh, question mein Court hua hai. in a day and age of social media, to laws like 295 make any sense as everyone is blaspheming in on some other platform. The government can't monitor all. So, this was question first question. I think this is an open and shut case. There is no point in having 295A because it just you cannot stop the thing.
1: But Who are you to say that? The government says, okay, again, I'm trying to tell you it's a tool of control. What do they do with 295A? Everybody gets arrested for the sake of getting arrested. No case actually goes through. There's barely yeah. a conviction anywhere. The point is the control in that moment in time. So, so they, they will pick and choose, okay, you I want to arrest. You, I will not arrest. Some jackass posting, you know, you and I have both seen the kind of tweets and the kind of Facebook comments that you get. I mean, insanity flows on, on, on mm-hmm. online. People abuse with impunity each other and their religious faith. The government chooses that yeah, these are jackasses, minor people, they don't have an influence. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But when they want to nail someone, they'll say, no, 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 you did it.
0: Yep. 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 Okay. So the next question is slightly long. And so I think of, but to answer
1: that question again, from my perspective, this entire chapter 15 should not stand at all. It should not stand at all. Hmm. And it should be struck down at some point in time. This is not even, even with the reasonable restrictions, because I still haven't come to what the effect of the constitution is on these laws. Right. And why they were upheld despite the enactment of a constitution and how at least 124a was initially struck down when 19.2 did not exist. Hmm. When these reasonable restrictions did not exist. So I haven't come to all of that. But okay. 295A has to go. They, they, all of these sections I think should should go in any event. But please look at the mentality of both the courts and the judges. Please look at the mentality of the, the statements being made, for example, by Asad B. Novesi. They are the same logic, the same debates that I have discussed in the context, context of Ramila Rasul. Yeah. That you must arrest and you must prosecute. That first yep. sentence that I'd said to you, that these that Muslim scholars say these sections were introduced to give vent to the concept of blasphemy, which otherwise would only carry the penalty of death. So to take blasphemy out of the ecclesiastical range and put it into the secular lawmaking domain, you have passed these laws and you must enforce these laws.
0: Yep, yep, yep. I agree. I agree. That's what has happened. This is a slightly long question. Uh, There are associations being made between abrogation of blasphemy laws versus the implementation of law and order that unless the law and order situation is not improved, abrogation of 295A is pointless. How accurate is this comparison? Now I'll add one more subplot to this and considering the remarks being made by the supreme court where it has basically said what it has said yesterday and the varying judgments these are not the viewers question these are my comments added to it so that you know you can make your final comments before we wrap it up how do we deal with this problem when the courts do make such uh, you know uh, remarks so which are so of, problematic the
1: first, the first part of this was the observation that 295a is essentially covering for an absence of uh, Law and order law, in this country. Law enforcement capacity is absolutely correct. It's not just 295A. I've shown you that in the context of bail. If you remember my old podcast in the context of bail hearing, in the context of uh, bail not being granted easily in India. I mean, it's all the same. It's because the police cannot keep a track beyond the point. And, they, and they, we do not defend free speech. We are too. We are so understaffed or we are so incapable that all we are doing is prevent a riot. We are not sitting there to protect somebody's free speech in a certain sense. Hmm. Right? That's the first part. Second part is the Supreme Court. Now, first, Vishal, I want you to give me your understanding of what the Supreme Court said yesterday.
0: Well, what the Supreme Court said yesterday, in my eyes, Nikhil, was they were. I can give you uh, my understanding through a parallel analogy. A girl wears certain kinds of clothes, a boy goes and hey, molests don't, her. Don't, 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 don't and this don't is. No the Please.
1: Please, let's go to the words. I, so I understand. Parallel analogy will come in the analytical element of this. Let's first do what you understood them to have said at all. In literal terms.
0: Well, uh, in literal terms, what I understood was they were saying if Nipur Sharma would not have uttered this, none of this would have happened and the person in Udaipur would not have died, which is an absolutely ridiculous observation in my view.
1: So that's step one. That part of it is correct. And that part I am absolutely in concurrence with you was wrong, unnecessary and actually very, very damaging because... In my view, it did several things, so all, many of which go well beyond Nupur Sharma, some of which will visit consequences upon Nupur Sharma.
0: Mm-hmm. First thing so, that it
1: did, I think, was to firmly establish the damage that she has done. The, when they say the word damage, you have established certain elements of 295A. You have established that you have caused religious hurt. Number one, firmly. Number two, please read that transcript closely. They say, we saw how you were talking about things.
0: Hmm. We saw.
1: Now, I had read to you portions where I had said, what does deliberate intent mean? I'm going to come back to that deliberate intent bit because that becomes very important in this context again.
0: But judges should not be... But The question was about the clubbing of the FIRs. Now, why is the judge making comments?
1: No, no, it wasn't. This is the problem again. The petition was not only for clubbing of FIRs. Clubbing of FIRs was an alternative prayer. The petition was actually one for quashing of the FIRs.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. I remember you made this point on your CNN bit also.
1: Yeah, that what what you've therefore done is given occasion for commentary on the merits. And on the merits, the Supreme Court turns around and says, it's quite clear what you have done. Now, they should not have gone as far as, possibly should not have gone as far as saying, apologize, you know, come on TV and apologize to the whole nation. And that everything that has happened ever since is your fault. Because mm. that, in my opinion, set up a defense of the reaction theory for Islamists. Right? Mm. But they did say certain things that were very important. And now I'm going to come to deliberate intent. And I'm going to read this sentence and I'm going to apply it on the pusharma in the context of what the Supreme Court said. Mm-hmm. If, however, a party were to force himself upon the attention of another, addressing mm-hmm. to him an involuntary hearer and insulting invective against his religion, he would be conceived fall under the definition. But the reasonable inference from his conduct would be that he had a deliberate intention of wounding the religious feelings of his hearer. Wounding mm-hmm. outraging What does the court say? The defense immediately raised by the council and a valid defense, and something that I have stated in one of my Al Jazeera on one of the, that Al Jazeera program that I had done, was that she was offensive, indisputably, but reflexively so. She reacted, and mm-hmm. she reacted badly. There is no disputing that fact. I, I, certainly will not accept any dispute to the fact that, she, like you could see the red mist descended, and she, the way she reacted was very harsh, very desultory, right? But she was reacting. So yeah, that she argument, was
0: reacting to what Tashim Rahmani said.
1: People are calling siblings as favaras, as fountains. And this is why she reacted the way she did. Mm-hmm. Right. So The court says, now that would be a defense that would fall under the idea of there is no deliberate intent. That is the element being made. So the problem is these statements are made in common parlance. But people don't realize the weight of the law behind each statement. And I'm trying to, uh, trying to uh, shed light on that. So when you make the statement that there is, that this was reactive, that this was on account of the fact that uh, shivlings were being called favaras, you're saying, therefore, there's no deliberate intent. Therefore, in the court, and I'll read the first sentence of this. "The The intention to wound must be deliberate that it is not conceived on the sudden in the course of a discussion, but premeditated. So it is not premeditated. That's what the defense is, right? What does the court say? The court says, but we know what kind of show you set up. You set up a show for a particular agenda and we understand what that agenda is. Those are the words used by the Supreme Court. What is the court trying to say? The framing of that television show and the manner in which it happened was set up so that this could happen. So words are very harsh, but the court is actually responding with a clear element of the law itself, saying there is a deliberate intent.
0: No, but Nikhil, shouldn't the court uh, be held uh, responsible for? uh, You know, uh, so no, I'm going to.
1: Kushal, one second. First, let me explain what the nature of these, what the, the unsaid elements of this discussion, because people are only seeing them for the words that they are, and obviously there's a problem. And I'll come to the attack side of this. I will attack it. Don't worry. But I must first explain what the court was doing, Mm -hmm. right? So on the clubbing of the FIRs, now the counsel turned around and says, look, you have indisputably. Established a norm for clubbing of FIRs, but when we say that, there aren't, it's not as if there's a ton of judgments on this because they won't need it. One main judgment came in 98, uh, and after that, clubbing of FIRs became easier. Clubbing of FIRs started to acquire a certain species. this. I think one argument that should have been added is that this is the era of uh social media and speech travels at unprecedented speed and unprecedented scale, right? The number of people who can hear you so quickly is immense. Millions in, in no time whatsoever. So the this idea of causing offense, you could have an FIR in every single police station in this country. Against mm-hmm. Why not? Right? So to prevent this absurdity, especially in speech-related cases, clubbing of FIRs is law needs to develop. But the court was adamant they will not give you that relief. And the only modicum of Benefit of doubt I can give to the court is this. The court says, so where do you want this? They say Delhi. I want it in Delhi. Right? Why? Because as per the law, Delhi filed registered an FIR first. So you must club in Delhi. Just for the record, there are 9 FIRs in 4 states. Multiple FIRs in Maharashtra, multiple FIRs in West Bengal. But Delhi moved first, so they want everything clubbed in Delhi. So yeah, Delhi. That's why you'll get red carpet treatment. What have the Delhi bullies done? Nothing. They must have opened the red carpet field. What is he trying to say there? That this is not effective investigation. In Delhi. And that's an important standard for a judge to protect. So the language is all harsh, but for a lawyer, it is decodable. It, it is legal language. It is legal concept stated in common de- in, in common parlance. <inaudible> One <inaudible>
0: second.
1: So let me complete this, this, this part of it. So... So they're saying, you're going to get the red carpet treatment. And now go high court to high court. Take your judgments. You have the TT Anthony judgment. Take it high court to high court and convince them that you are being subjected to a proper investigation in Delhi and therefore their FIR should not be proceeded. And that is why it eventually had to be withdrawn. Now coming to the attack side. right? Now coming to what was critical.
0: No, no, no. Let me me read a comment because I think it's a very... Should the court not be held accountable for its observations that swings public emotions and can act as instructions to the rest of the system?
1: So, put it in technical terms. A Supreme Court judge has no protection from an FIR being filed against them. There will be... The usual caveat that they were acting in the course of duty. But you could always argue this went beyond the course of duty. So technically, this exists. Not advocating it, but technically this exists. Because you asked me the question, should they be held accountable? This is one way to hold accountable. That letter petition sent to the Chief Justice that uh, these remarks must be withdrawn is one other way. Possibly the Chief Justice himself having a word with the judges saying we need to show more decorum. Right, but there are certain things that emerged from all of this question and this was the important bit. One was giving went to the reaction theory. Right? What do Islamists always say? And what, and what was the what was the argument in Rangila Rasul? We that we can't help it if you behave this way, we will behave this way. If you say certain words, we can only do certain things. It's reaction. What did Rangira Rasul reject? Exactly this. That just because there is more fanatical response on one side doesn't mean the nature of the act has changed. Hmm. So it's given vent to that. Two, it has quelled completely what I thought was a very important development, which was that the law of clubbing of FIRs need... This was an fit case for the development of the law of clubbing of FIRs. So that free speech cases aren't tried any and everywhere. Everybody can go get this relief. And once the Supreme Court clarifies it thoroughly, you can go get that relief from the first magistrate or for the first high court that you would. Instead of everybody coming to the Supreme Court every single day. Right? Number three, I have always tried to argue during the course of this podcast that religious doctrine and religious figures should not deserve any protection. Groups of people may deserve protection, but religious classes do not deserve protection. Sorry, mm-hmm. religious figures, religious doctrine do not deserve protection.
0: And, and, because, was, and that's class, a very important point because if religious doctrine gets protection, you know how many things exist that are bad?
1: You no, know, no, I'll tell you what happens, Kushal. It's not that everything that is a religious doctrine will get protection. It won't. We come back to the state of constant hypocrisy that we're already in, that bit of hypocrisy that I'd explained earlier. When the state wants, it will blaspheme and happily blaspheme because it uh, so it, it abrogates to itself a power that no one else possesses. The state so has the, the
0: gun. The state that's has, what has the I, gun.
1: The citizen wants to do the same act of blasphemy. You hold them liable under a law. Right? So, I am not trying to draw parity between citizen and state. I am only just trying to point out that it is acts of blasphemy that eventually become important developments in humankind. Mm-hmm. Copernicus was a blasphemer. Galileo. Galileo was a blasphemer. Darwin. They were all blasphemers. They were all. Right? Let's come let's come closer to home. Dravidian politics is not possible without blasphemy. Mm-hmm. By blasphemy, I'm using it broadly in a sense of without hurting religious sentiments of a particular class. I get it. I get it. Class, not that, the, not that I'm a politics, fan of Dravidian
0: on. politics, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't
1: matter. Doesn't matter. It's a legitimate political movement yes. that has reaffirmed its legitimacy through repeated electoral
0: Absolutely, they have every right to exist yes. in this country.
1: Bahujan politics cannot be done without some some aspect of hurting religious. Sentiments. Yeah,
0: Manusmriti, which Jalane ka uh, Ambedkar ji ne kia tha
1: that's right it cannot be done we've got to get rid of all of these sacred cows
0: yeah the only sacred cow nikhil everybody knows it's islamism that's the only sacred cow left in the room now and that was that that's the line we are trying to cross now as a society and we're facing problems right now
1: that's right, so a part of the, so in this first part because this material is so big and it's so important yeah, right? yeah. and i want to build a larger argument on it and maybe we'll look at international stuff the next part. Yes. Another second big...
0: part. I think if we don't look at the international stuff and give analogies to make our audiences understand, we'll be unfair to them.
1: No, no, no. I, I want to make my argument. I don't know if I've been convincing enough today to people, but I want to make my argument. These are only control provisions. They have no basis in any other kind of first principles logic. You have to privilege religion first. If you do not privilege religion, these laws make no sense. And and there is no basis for privileging religion over science, over over rationality, or over the sentiments of a regular individual. What you are doing by privileging religion is basically giving power to the mob. Right? Raghila Rasul, great defense. I didn't cause anybody sentimental hurt. It is Mahatma Gandhi's pamphlet that has caused sentimental hurt. Mahatma Gandhi's critique that has caused sentimental hurt, because of which riots are happening. By myself, nothing happened.
0: By the way, then, then that is the case for Mohammed Zubair. Because he was the one who put, turned the is, mob on. Nupur.
1: For one of the defences has always been my words, my intention was limited. It is the person who then came and beat the gong and, and drew up the mob together. That's the person who should be charged.
0: Well, Zubair it is then.
1: So, these are ripe issues where courts need to now take, in my opinion they need to take the law a lot for what that is that we'll discuss in the next part because i think your your time allocation is also nearly yeah
0: out. yeah so so and, and i think uh, i think people can digest this because these are a lot of complex issue that we have covered today so but, but,
1: what... but second part you need to take out time i'm going to finish this in part two and
0: i'm going ah,
1: to de- so d- do H-
0: Yes, we will do it Second part, we, what we'll do is, we'll do part 2 in the third week of this month. Give me 15 days, so we'll do the second part. This,
1: rather, now courts will be open, boss. Now you have to go by my convenience.
0: When will your theri court start? Court uh, one
1: starts on the 4th of July, another starts on the 11th of July and I'm going to be busy. But sometime yes, in the yes, end yes, of July, we'll do it. We'll
0: do it. So guys, what we'll do now is this is end of part one. So imagine how much there, there is left to be covered that we need another two hours in part two. So as always, Nikhil, buddy, it's always a learning experience sharing from you. And I apologize for all the technical glitches that happened today. I'm trying my best with whatever I have. So on that note, uh, as always, thanks a lot. Thank you,
1: Vishal. Thank you so much
0: okay guys we'll wrap today's discussion up please go and follow nikhil on social media in the description of the podcast is nikhil's twitter handle go and follow him kuch kaam hoga do lawyer chacha ko wo bhi mehra hai bhale nakli wala hai magar here you know we see the aim of nikhil and i to do these regular discussions is is that is nikhil once told me on the phone that i am shocked by the level of legal illiteracy that exists in india Nikhil is right and I include myself in someone who is legally illiterate and I just thought this podcast and these sessions that I do with Nikhil could become a perfect opportunity for me to tell people what the law states while Nikhil is telling them and me uh, parallelly too. So we'll wrap today's discussion up. As always thanks a lot for watching this live and you know listening to this later either on audio or watching this later on YouTube. Uh, please support the Charwork podcast. Subscribe to my channel. Like the video. Leave your comments there. Uh, become a member on YouTube, Patreon. Buy the merch. UPI. I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Bye bye.